All right, all right. Glad you're all here. Uh, we've been in this series that we're calling Sin Everywhere. That's not an imperative. Go sin everywhere. It, it is, it is a, a simple acknowledgement that sin has basically happened. We've been in this uh, series and we've been talking about it, it as in terms of a crash, that the crash happened. It was catastrophic. And this crash has affected us sexually, it's affected us intellectually, it's affected us emotionally, politically, socially, on and on and on and on and on. And if you haven't been to the De Young Art Museum, I invite you. Uh, I try to go there once a week and just take it in, whatever's there. And this piece is on display there. Uh, Cornelia Parker has created this. She calls it anti-mass. And where she's gathered these pieces from, you may be wondering, what is this? It looks broken and burned. You're right. Um, It it is real pieces of burned wood from an African-American church in Birmingham, Alabama that she gathered, and she's made this an installation there at the De Young Art Museum. It's very powerful. And we're using it with permission just to illustrate that sin is everywhere. Sin has affected every part of mine and your reality. Yet... Every one of these weeks that we've gathered to talk about sin everywhere, we haven't left here thinking, oh no, the story ends right there. There's no hope. No. The Bible, uh, God's promise, God's story going throughout all of uh, human history as well as all throughout scripture has been a message of hope. There's been good news in the midst of this that resurrection is a reality, resurrection's coming, and so we want to touch on that again today as well. Uh, So today we're going to talk about um, returning to God. The prophet Joel is going to lead us in that. And basically the the three things that we're going to cover today is is that there's a call. There's a call. God is inviting us uh, to come and return. And the second thing is there's a condition involved in this call. And then lastly, there's a counterfeit We'll look at a true way to come and return to God and as well as a counterfeit way. So uh, let, me, let me pray for us, and then we'll read our scripture and get started this morning. Father, once again, we, we believe that your word is alive. We believe that your word is powerful. We believe that you know us better than we know ourselves. And we, we pray right now that you would open our minds, change our minds, um, we pray that you would use your word to, to change us in any way that you know that that needs to happen. We invite you to do that. Don't let us leave here the same people that we are. Don't let us leave here feeling guilt that we have to go change ourselves. But rather, we pray that your word, by your spirit, would bring about life change. That we would live the resurrection that's promised to us. So, Father, help us hear your words now, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. It was a night where I was trying to sneak out of my house. I had on some ripped jeans. I was going out with other friends who had on ripped jeans and ripped clothes. And my dad caught me just before exiting the doorway. Where are you going, son? Uh, I did not want my dad to see what I was dressed in. My dad caught a glimpse of my jeans, my jacket, and he said, son, it looks like you've been attacked by a wild animal. And I said, dad, this is cool. 
th this is the party that I'm going to, and this is what we look like, and uh, this is what you do with your clothes these days. Uh, my dad had no idea what I was talking about, um, and, uh, and I wish I could have given him a little fashion lesson at the moment, which I'd learned later that ripped clothing actually started in the Renaissance period. Uh, rib, ripped clothing, uh, they, they, they would call it uh, slash and puff was the technique that was being used there. And you basically would slash some of your clothing and you would want some of your undergarments to sort of be pulled through those little spaces and puff out. Uh, it, it, was, it was a growing fashion. It was uh, becoming trendy. I wish I could have told my dad that story that night. I didn't know that at the time, but well, you didn't come to church today for us to talk about torn clothing or ripped jeans. The prophet who's going to speak to us today talks about tearing your clothes, which was a sign of grief or lament or sadness, but God wants something else for you and for me. He's not after us tearing our garments in grief about our sin. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts torn. He wants our hearts ripped open so that he can bring restoration and healing into those places. So let us read from the prophet. It's printed here, chapter 2 in the book of Joel. Just two verses here. He says, Yet now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he doesn't desire to punish you. So this call, this call, real clearly stated, is, is a return. It's a return to God, and, and therein lies this, this thought we have of almost like a breakup. Right? You ever, ever had a breakup before? Oh, come on. Ever had a breakup before? And in that breakup, there's almost this pride that we have in ourselves of, well, they're going to return to me because there's no way I'm going to return to them. Not only are they going to return to me, but I'm going to make them crawl back to me. Um, come on. You've had that breakup. You know what I'm talking about here. Uh, the display of who returns to who is, is usually going on in our breakups. And what we need to, to know about God is God hasn't broken up with you. God hasn't deserted you in that way. God hasn't gotten fed up with you or impatient with you and has broken up with you and is done with you forever. Our sins may deserve that, yet God is inviting, he's calling you, return. Return to me. I didn't leave you. You've left me. It's not me that's broken up with you. It's sin. It's sin we've been talking about over these weeks that's broken this relationship that you have with me. And I, I want you to return to me. I'm calling you to return to me. Come back. Come back. If that's never happened for you, if you're thinking, well, well that sounds really neat, but I don't, I don't know what that even means to return to God. I didn't know that I left God. Um... That would be the call to you right here in these moments today is, is a call, is an invitation from a loving God, a merciful God that says, come back. I'm the one who made you. 
I have everything designed for you, yet maybe you've walked away from it, and you've walked away from me. Come back, return. Um, or, or maybe you're a Christian, you're thinking, well, yeah, I did that. I, I did that years ago. I returned to God. So, so why, why do we keep talking about this? And we keep talking about this because this is the rhythm of what it means to be a Christian. It's a lifelong process of returning to God, celebrating once we've returned to God, that he allowed us to return. Then we usually go through a season of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. We forget God's faithfulness. All this is depicted for us in the Bible, by the way. This is like the meta-narrative, the story, is that we, we return, we celebrate, we worship, we forget. Um, in our forgetfulness, we usually turn to more sin and to more divine lovers. That's what the book of Hosea is about. God depicted as the perfect uh, husband, lover, who will never cheat on us. We, unfortunately, are depicted as an unfaithful spouse who are constantly thirsty and hungry and looking, wondering if I might be loved in a better way. Therefore, I run after this and the other. Yet, God, in all of his mercy and all of his compassion, continues to go after you and me and us. That's his mercy. That's his kindness that goes after you and allows you to return to him. That's grace. That's mercy that we're celebrating. So he says, return to me. It's this invitation. Therein lies the indictment. Is, is there not an indictment here? When he's saying return to me, there's this obvious, well, it means that I must have left God. And a week or so ago, we were looking at the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, where he says, for all of us have gone astray. We all like Sheep, that's not a compliment, by the way. God loves you, but that's not necessarily a compliment. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And there's this invitation going out, come back. Come back to me. Um, and what it is that we're returning to is a uh, right relationship with God. Not religion. Not, oh, i got to get back to church. I should be going to church more. I should be doing religious things this week. No, it's a right relationship that God is inviting you and I to come back to. This week, guaranteed, you and I will be distracted. You and I will perhaps forget God. You and I perhaps will drift away from God. Just trying to be real honest here. Yet, in the midst of that, God will so lovingly invite you and I back to return. That's normalcy of the Christian life. Not one huge experience where, whoa, I had such a great experience and I never drifted away from God again. It's more normal for us to have these challenges and struggles where we do drift away, yet God says, come back, return to me. So it's an attitude of the heart and that's what I'm inviting you to be thinking about right now. That's what I was thinking about as I was looking at this text and this passage this week. So what I'm thinking about right now, even as I'm speaking, as God is speaking to us, what attitude is in your heart? And that's the condition that we get to. Oh, there's a great call that's there, and it does go out to everyone, all types, throughout history, all nations. Yet there's a condition. And it's not on the outside like we might be hoping it would be. 
It's not in terms of sacrifices. It's not in terms of uh, offerings that we might bring. Um, remember Jesus when, when asked, what do we need to do to enter the kingdom of God? What do we need to do to enter into heaven? And he simply tells them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's saying. In this Hosea chapter 6, we, we looked at this. Renell led us in this earlier. God is speaking through the, the prophet Hosea. And, and God says, I don't want your sacrifices. Like for those of you that thought I wanted them, I don't. For those of you that thought I needed them or would be impressed by them, I'm not. I'm different from you. I want, it says, I'm just reading it, I want your love. If you really want to know God speaking, what I want from you, I want your love. Your Bible reading this week, or like whatever sort of spiritual disciplines, or oh, I went to church this week, or I even tithed. God is saying, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. Rather, I want you to know me. Do you know God in that way? Is your week designed in such a way, the rhythm of how you and I choose to do what we do? Not out of guilt here, but out of delight, are we creating space, not only to return, but to know God and to love God? Finding places within your day, yes, right in the midst of it being busy, chaotic, ambiguous, (laughs) a pressure cooker, we're all in it, every one of us. Right in the midst of that, responding to this call that God is saying of return to me. Lord God, I return. I'm I'm back. I'm back. I want to know you. I want to love you. Help me know you. Help me love you. Verse 13. Verse 13 in our passage today, it says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. This word rend, okay, the ancient Near Eastern culture, meant to rip, meant to tear open. And that's why we were playing along with clothes a few minutes ago of of it literally means, like rend your heart, it means to rip it, rip it wide open, tear it open. Let God know your heart. That's what the psalmist does. Uh, Search my heart, O God. Look inside of me. I ask you to do that. I want you to, I need you to do that. I think I know my heart. We deceive ourselves so often, so skillfully. God, look in my heart. Know my heart. So it means to, 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 to open, to rip, rip open your heart and, and come to God in, in that humility and in that brokenness. Remember some time ago we were looking at the Beatitudes, Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 5, and um, it, it's just this the spiritual poverty that he's saying, blessed are you when you admit that you're spiritually broken. Blessed are you when you can say that you need God in that way. Yet we get fearful, don't we? If you're tracking with me here, we get fearful in being that real and that honest with God. Don't we? If I get that real with God, isn't he going to withhold some of his love for me? If I get that real with God about how much I'm struggling, (laughs) 
Might He withhold some of His blessings from me this week? And that's totally not the case. In fact, the more you're honest and the more you're able by His grace to say that you're broken and that you need Him, oh, how beautifully God shows up for you and lets you experience His mercy and His love in that moment. Look at how God treats those who who repent this way. And that's the other word for um, this, this word here, rend. It, mean, it means to rip and it means to tear. But, but this turning that, that the prophet is getting us to, to think about here is repent. Who's heard this word before? We, we've probably all heard this word, repent. It comes from Jesus' own lips whenever he's introducing the kingdom of God. Repent and believe, he says. So how does God treat those who repent in this way? Psalm 147 verse 3 says, God heals. God heals the brokenhearted. Bring your broken heart. Bring your humility. Bring your unfaithfulness to God. God heals all of that is the promise. Remember Luke chapter 4 when Jesus finally gets in the temple and he's going to read the scriptures. What scripture does he read? Isaiah chapter 61 where the prophet is saying that there will be one who's going to come and uh, free the prisoners and bind up the brokenhearted. The beauty of Jesus reading that is he is the fulfillment of that. He is the one who's going to bind up your broken heart, your brokenness, your humility. He alone can do that. That's the condition of coming with a heart. Not what you know. Not what you know. Not how many verses of Scripture you've memorized. Not that you could even stand up and preach about it. But that you know me. You love me. That's what I want, says God. You're not impressing me. You're not impressing me. And we all know, and if you don't, I'll inform you, that there are places in Scripture where it's possible to say that you know God Say that you're a Christian. Say that you love Jesus. And it's just not true. You're posing. You're posing. And and sadly, that was so much of my life. Posing. Hoping I fit in, even as a Christian. God isn't impressed with any of that. God wants your heart wherever that heart is. Be bold. Be real. Bring it. Invite God into that place. And watch God perform miracles for you. The last uh, thing we'll talk about here is the counterfeit. You've got to be fair and talk about the counterfeit. We can't just all leave rah, rah, rah. Let's talk about the counterfeit here. The counterfeit is fake repentance. I'll just name it. Fake repentance. Cheap confession. Saying to God, um, I'm sorry, Yet inside the soul or inside the heart, we said, I'm sorry because I got caught. Ever had a speeding ticket? Oh, gosh, come on. You guys need to go a little bit more recklessly. No, I don't mean mean that. It's dangerous. Don't do it. Um, If you've ever had a speeding ticket, or let me just speak for myself, the speeding tickets I've had, there was a sorrowfulness for speeding, not was wrong, but because I got caught. In fact, if I hadn't got caught, I would have still been speeding. 
We're getting into motives here, aren't we? I don't know your motives. That's not my role as a preacher. You don't know my motives. That's not your role as my friend and colleague and fellow human being. God knows your motives. God knows your hearts. So I'm not meddling with you nor you me, but we're here before God, and God is the one who knows us and knows those motives. Uh, many of us uh, ha- have these motives of, hey, I'll only change if, if I get caught, or I'm only going to confess that if um, I get some attention for it, or maybe it'll improve my relationship with God. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I'm supposed to be confessing my sin more often through the day and repenting more through the day, and maybe then God will bless me more. Okay, see, that too reveals a motive, does it not? Um, look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 here, and Paul the writer is also dealing with thoughts of perhaps fake repentance or true repentance. And in chapter 6 in Romans, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Who's ever thought that, by the way? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> what that is, is a temptation to enter into sin and the thought process, our intellectual capacity, our soul leads us to think God is so good and so merciful and so gracious, so forgiving, I'll just do it with gusto anyway because God will just forgive me. And so therefore, Paul, as this great theologian, is asking, should we pile on up the sin, just like keep on doing it, heap it up on top of one another so that God's grace may also increase? And he says, no, no. May it never be. May it never be. Uh, we who have died to sin. So now he's talking about your identity as a Christian. You've actually died to sin. If you're in Christ, if you're identifying with Christ, you've died to it. It's not your master anymore. It's not what controls your destiny. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all those who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Like, are you thinking with me? Are you with me? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So what is the motivator? That's a great question. What is the motivator to repent? What is it? This is like if you're being really real. If no one else were around, what would lead you to repentance? It's one thing to repent when the, the current is kind of going in that direction and you're sort of around a lot of other people repenting and confessing and that's sort of the culture that you're living in, i.e. a Christian culture. What happens when you're not around that? And this is why I love verse 13 that reminds you why you're going to be repenting and how you're going to be repenting. Verse 13, if you're reading it, it says, basically, that repentance is happening from the inside out. It's not behaviors first. Repentance is the attitude of the heart from the inside that does lead to behaviors, but it's centered on God's character. Listen to what he says in verse 13. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's 
in steadfast love. He doesn't desire to punish you. That's what leads you to repentance. That's the call again of God's mercy and grace calling you, calling me, inviting you. Come back. Return. Oh, I've given you human free will. I've allowed you to go for it and pursue the sort of whatever you want to pursue. But it's cheated on you. It's stolen from you. It's lied to you. It's dehumanized you, and I want you to come back. I don't want to steal your identity. I want to unleash you with an identity that's so deep and so stable and so satisfying. Come back. Return to me. Think about those words of Jesus saying, whoever's hungry, come to me. Whoever's thirsty, come to me. I can fill you like nothing else. Imagine someone at your place of work tomorrow standing up on a big table and just announcing that to everyone. Hey, everybody, if you need anything, if you desire anything, come to me. I got an answer for you. How ridiculous. I mean, we'd probably be throwing things at that person. Like, how silly. The audacity of Jesus to make such bold claims. That is the invitation. That is the call. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Not in your mind. Don't check it off as though, of course I do. Believed it. Done it. In your heart. In your heart. Is it there? Romans chapter 6 leads us to life change. It's not just theology, but it's life change. And this is where you and I are called to live this out this week. Live it out, to be empowered to repent and to return. Romans chapter 6, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. And count yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That's the rebirth. That's the renewed uh, life that God is promising for you. And at any moment that you're not experiencing it or I'm not experiencing it, the answer is not, I need to offer more sacrifices to God. I need to get more serious about my religion. Oh, I feel so bad. That is not the answer. The answer is see a God who's gracious, merciful, compassionate, abounding in steadfast love, pursuing you. Let's give God thanks as we envision that God, envision that God pursuing us in love. Father, we, we do, we celebrate right now. We're, we can't even celebrate that we've re- repented. Even that is a gift from you. And so, oh God, we thank you for leading us to repentance. We thank you for leading us to life change. And we pray this week, today, this week, that you would help us live this out. Help us boast in our weakness and our need for you. 
Help us come to you with that humility. Help us respond to this call. And help us come with our full heart. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of mercy. Thank you that you're a God of grace. You're a God of compassion. You know each of our stories so well. And you move towards us. Lord God, change us right now. Lay lay on our minds, lay on our hearts right now ways that you want us to repent. And ways you want us to believe. And Jesus, we thank you that you were torn apart for us. You were crucified. You lived a perfect life, yet you were tried as a criminal. You were torn apart by God's judgment and wrath as a perfect atoning sacrifice for us. What a free gift. Help us return by announcing that we need that. Thank you for empowering us this week to walk with you, to live this out, and to assist each other and encourage each other to live this out and to point each other back to this God who loves us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.